We're going to be looking at a really couple really difficult, difficult passage, passages in the Word today. One is in Mark chapter 10. We're going to dig into it in just a moment. Where Jesus has this encounter with this young man who's very wealthy. Um, he checks off all the boxes. He is the guy, if you have a daughter, you want to marry this guy. I mean, graduate from Harvard on the basketball team. I mean, he, he, he had everything going for him except for one thing, and Jesus exposes it. And, and the question that this, this wealthy person says, man says to him, is, is what must I do to inherit eternal life? And basically the question he's asking is how good do I need to be in order to have eternal life? And so what we're going to be looking at is the question of am I good enough? Am I good enough? Because many times we feel like, man, I just don't, Christianity's tough because I feel like I'm good one day and then I mess up the next day, right? Or people may just think, well, I'm just good enough and isn't good enough good enough before God. And we're going to expose that lie today. And it's interesting how much we are influenced by the way we were raised. Now, think of it just for a moment. Maybe you were raised in uh, this type of household. Maybe you're raised in a very performance-based household. Maybe grades and achievement and doing well. Maybe at a sport was the focus. Everything had an end game. You must do this in order to achieve this or this certain status. Maybe you were raised in a family where achievements were not the focus. Maybe uh, they were not pushed and you were just set to figure out your own standard or make your own way. Maybe you grew up in a really strict religious home where moral values were placed on you and that was really important. You knew right and wrong even though you didn't do right most of the time, but you knew what right and wrong was. Um, The lie we can believe easily, easily believe, is that my goodness or my worth is based in my performance, either how well I do or how bad I do. How well I keep the rules or how moral I am or am I a failure? If I perform well, my parents will be happy. We might feel like we've never made our parents happy or we were never good enough. It can be the same with moralistic approach to God. If I do good things, God will accept me. We end up getting this like religious spirit like God is going to accept me through my religiosity. However, this can be so frustrating if we're not careful. Because when is being good, good enough? Where's the line? When is being good, good enough? I need more, do I need more and more rules? And it's a pit that can never be filled, obviously. And when I trip up, I feel like a colossal failure. Or if I'm really hard on myself and I want to achieve all these goals and then I don't meet the goals, we're so hard on ourselves and we beat ourselves up because we didn't feel like we met the standard that we set for ourselves. And not only the standard we set for ourselves, but the standard that we set for other people to be just like that. Is it simply telling myself that I'm good and people like me? Is that, is that just look in the mirror and say, I'm good and, and people like me, right? Is that, is that what it is? In my understanding of righteousness, is it based on my standard? Is it based on what I think goodness is? And this is the problem that we're going to see with this man in Mark chapter 10. 
So how do I find my worth? That's the question. How do we feel worthy or where do we find our identity? And here is the problem. Because what we can do is we can take a wrong sense of worth and our identity and bring it into Christianity. And we try to please God by what we do or how we perform. And maybe some of you were raised in that type of a church where there was a lot of emphasis put on what you did and didn't do. As long as you didn't do the do things that you weren't supposed to do and you did the do things that you were supposed to do, you were doing good, right? Can I get an amen? All right, anybody out there? Okay. But here's the problem. So much of our identity whether we're striving to be like Christ, which is good and we need to do that, so much of our identity is based in external things. Based in external things. Let me give you some examples about our self-worth or identity. Much of our self-worth or identity can be attached to my net worth. Right? How successful I'm at my job or what's in my bank account or my investments or my self-worth or my identity can be in, in trying to please others, being a people pleaser. As long as people like me and they accept me, I feel good about myself. Or our self-worth is attached to how good I am or how well I perform. Or maybe as a parent, this is a real struggle for many parents, my self-worth or my identity is attached to, attached to how well my children are doing. And that's a struggle for a lot of parents. Because when you see your child struggle, many times we think, what did I do wrong? Have you ever had that talk with yourself or with your spouse? Like, what did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong, right? And that, that's a struggle because we can tend to base our identity or our worth and how well our children are doing. And then you just add the complexity of social media and what everybody else is doing and how well their kids are doing. And then you can look at your life and feel like a failure sometimes. But let me just, can I just be honest with you? Not everything is what it is on social media. <laughs> you leaning in with me this morning, crowd, okay? You, you got, not everything is that we, we, just, we just put the good things out there. But, um, so the problem is this. Where does it leave us? Where does it leave us? when we strive after these things to try to find our worth or identity, it can leave us in a one of two ditches. One of two ditches. And, and this is one of the two ditches that this young man found himself in the head of the conversation with Jesus. One ditch is to never be good enough, or the other di- ditch is self-righteousness, performance, or a moralistic type of Christianity of trying to please God by what we do. And I want to look at these two challenging passages for us in the New Testament. And these words from Jesus seem so hard and they seem impossible to obey, but this is the very point Jesus is trying to make about our goodness or if we are good enough. And what was behind the words that Jesus spoke about goodness? This is what I want you to see this morning. So let's look at Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 17 through 22. And this is found in the majority of the Gospels, but let's look at this story about this wealthy man. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, and he called out, Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then the first question, we'll dig into this, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your mother and father. Teacher, 
He declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. He's feeling pretty good right now. He's checking all the boxes off. He's like, "Mm, man, I'm going to walk away happy after this conversation with, with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's important. Because Jesus wasn't there to condemn him. Jesus wasn't there to say, aha, I'm going to get you. But what Jesus does is because he loves him, he exposes the motivation of his heart. He exposes what's really in his heart. Now, on the outside, he's checking all the boxes. He looks good. He looks religious. He may even be thinking about himself. I'm better than most people, 95% of the people. I'm good. I look good. People respect me. I make a lot of money. I follow the commandments. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He says, yet there's one thing you lack that's going to keep you out. So what he says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Rut row. <laughs> How does Jesus know my heart? How does he know my motivation? And then at this, the man's face just fell. It went white as a sheet. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. His identity was attached to his wealth. That's who he was. And he couldn't give that up. He couldn't follow Jesus and he walked away sad. Look at Matthew 5.48. Here's what Jesus says about goodness. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's impossible. What is Jesus talking about here? What does it mean to be good? This is what Jesus is drilling down on. And the story with this young wealthy man and the story and and Jesus saying to us, saying to his disciples, those that are want to hear him. He's saying, you need to be be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What does it mean to be good? Because that's the question. Jesus is telling us, in order to be good, you have to be perfect. So if we have to be perfect, let's just pack it up and close the doors of the church because none of us are perfect, amen? We all make mistakes. See, the encounter Jesus had with this wealthy young man is interesting. Basically, he's asking Jesus, how good do I have to be in order to slide into heaven. What's the line, Jesus? Where is it? Because I, th- I think I'm definitely over the line. I think if you're grading on a scale, I'm working at about a 95. I'm working at a 95. I'm doing pretty good. I went to Harvard. I got a perfect score on my SATs. I'm doing good, Jesus. I follow all the commands. I've got to be close. But listen to what Jesus says. The wealthy young man in the back of his head hears what he says and all of a sudden he walks away frustrated. See, the wealthy young man in the back of his mind is probably thinking he's better than most people. Then Jesus asks him if he kept the rules and he was all over that. I kept the rules. On the outside, he looked righteous. The ones that Jesus asked, he kept and he was quick to say, yes, I've kept those. And so he's probably thinking, great, I've checked all the boxes. I'm good. I'll be on my way. I've got the security of having eternal life. But Jesus says, not so fast. Not so fast. And then Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. And with love for him, he reveals the heart of this man. 
I want you to understand something today. It's going to, the sermon's going to get better, so just hold on. I know it sounded depressing right now, but it does, it, does, it does get better, so just hold on. I want you to realize the most loving thing Jesus can ever do with us is reveal truth to our heart. Amen. That's the most loving thing he could ever do. I want you to notice, with love, he spoke truth. It wasn't just condemnation. It wasn't hate. It wasn't just truth with no love. It was love with the truth. Yes, Jesus loves us, but he loves us too much not to share the truth of our heart's true condition. Amen? amen. I'm going to say amen, 930 crowd, because it's really yeah. only 10, whatever time it is. We're still sleeping on that time. See, the most loving thing you do is give the truth of our heart. See, Jesus with compassion says you lack one thing, which is the most important thing that will give you eternal life. Now, before we jump on the rich guy and we say, aha, Jesus got you, we are just like him. We can say the same thing. We can say, th- and, and we can say things, well, I'm good because I haven't killed anyone or have done anything bad, right? If you ask someone, are they good? And if they're going to heaven, what are they going to say? Have you asked someone that question? Are you going to go to heaven? Oh, sure I am. And then you ask the follow-up questions, why? And what are they going to say? Because I'm a good person, right? Everybody's good. I'm not saying people can't do good things, but everybody's good. And they're basing their goodness based on their own standard of righteousness. This is where I want to unpack this verse for you because Jesus really shows us by first questioning this wealthy man by saying the only person that's really good is God. Why are you saying I'm good? See, we need to understand why Jesus' first reaction was that. You see, we can say the same thing. I'm good because I haven't killed anyone. I haven't done anything bad. But for the rich young man... On the outside, it looked like he was really good, and I mean really, really, really good. He was a good son, always helped his parents, didn't steal any pens from the office, honest, integrity, he was a good husband, faithful to his wife. However, Jesus says it wasn't enough. See, Jesus wants to help him. Jesus didn't say, okay, you're close enough. You're close enough. Or you're good enough and go on your way. He didn't let him off the hook. He spoke truth to the reality of what his heart truly was. And that was attached to his money. I don't know if some of you remember this Super Bowl. It's a pretty memorable Super Bowl. Super Bowl 34. And... uh, let me tell you what's going on if you forgot uh, about this. Kevin Dyson catches the ball. He's doing a slant play down the middle of the field. The Tennessee Titans are getting ready to score on the St. Louis Rams. The St. Louis Rams are up by seven. This is the last play of Super Bowl 34. Dyson catches the ball, but he ends up being inches short. If you, if you Google one yard short, this, this, this will come up. What's interesting about this play is that they had a chance to not only tie the game, but they could have actually won the Super Bowl if they went for a two-point conversion. 
And when I think about this, this is how I think about our goodness. The goal line is heaven. That's God's perfection. That's the goal line to get into heaven. But our own righteousness and our own works always fall inches short of God's perfection. They always do. Our goodness will always fall short of the perfection of God. It'll always fall short. Now, they didn't say, hey, that's close enough, Kevin Dyson. Hey, that's close. You're just inches away. We'll give it to you. Now, now, if you're a, a Tennessee Titan fan, which we aren't here. We are Buffalo Bills fans here. This is a Buffalo Bill church. Okay, I'm just saying. Teasing. Teasing. Don't get up and walk out now if you have to use the bathroom because I will call you out, okay? Teasing. Teasing. But for a Tennessee Titans fan, that would be great, right? They, they'd want that rule to bend their, bend their way. But still short. Did not get the touchdown. And this is what Jesus is relaying to this man. Notice at the beginning of the conversation, the young man calls Jesus a good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is saying that no one except for God is perfectly good. So what Jesus is saying is the only one that's perfect, the only true standard for what is good is God and God alone. I like what the ESV study notes say here. Is it proper? It's not proper for the young man to address Jesus as a good teacher until he's ready to acknowledge that Jesus is God. So what Jesus is doing here is setting up the standard for what truly is righteous and what truly is good. And it's not that, okay, you kept all the laws and you think that you're good. The only true good person is God. And the only way to get to heaven is we have to be perfect. Wait a minute. Pastor, that's, that's not good news. Well, hold on. Well, we're going to get there. So what Jesus is doing for this young man, he's setting the standard for good, and it's only God. We do not set the standard for our goodness because what we think is good may not be what another person thinks is good. What we thought was wrong 30 years ago can be good today. Just turn your TV off for 12 minutes or 10 minutes, Right? What we thought was, was wrong 30 years ago or even five years ago, we are now sanctifying and saying this thing is good now. Who makes up the rules? And so what Jesus is doing with this, with this man is he's saying the only one who's truly good is God and you have fallen short of his perfection. You see, our goodness is a moving target it just is. It's a, it's a moving target. So how good do I have to be in order to have eternal life? Is it, is it a passing grade? Is, is 70 enough? No, at the end of the day, we all fail. 99.9% isn't enough. And so Jesus' words are hard. And they're hard for a reason. Because he wants us to dig in and move away from ourselves and our standard of goodness and look to God and his standard of goodness. And the reason is, is because we are helpless to save ourselves. And we try to rely on our goodness and what we do and what we don't do. And we try to wear that as a badge of honor to think like we're impressing God. And God says, I'm not impressed with your goodness. That doesn't mean people can't do good things. But in order to have eternal life, he's saying, you have to be perfect. You have to be righteous. 
and you've fallen short. That's what Paul says in Romans 3.23. It says, for everyone has what? Sinned. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner, right? Look at you all fearfully doing it. They are. Your neighbor's a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners. And we've all what? What does it say? We've all fall short of God's glorious standard. Look at the picture again of the Super Bowl. There's the line. We've all fallen short of God's standard over and over and over again. No matter how hard we might try, we will never get over that goal line in our own strength or our own goodness. The reason why Jesus' words are hard is for a reason. He's giving us the truth about who we are and that we fall short of God's perfection and God's glory. Let me drill down this even further to make you even feel better about yourselves, all right? I know we're all snowflakes and we're all special, blah, blah, blah. But let me, let me drill down a little further here. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.20. It says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Amen? Amen? All right, all right. See, we've all fallen, fallen short, what it's saying, of God's standard of perfection. Now, once again, that doesn't mean that people can't do good things. But intrinsically, we are broken, we are sinners, and we're born with this sinful nature. And as hard as we may try to please God and to do the right thing, we will fail miserably every single time. That's why I think it's a struggle for many people, whether they walk into Christianity and they feel like, man, I, it seems like I can do good things and then, and then I mess up the next day and blah, blah, blah. Have you ever, you know, God's going to reveal what's going on in your heart, that, that we do make mistakes, even as followers of Christ, right? And there's going to be times that our witness for Christ isn't always the best witness for Christ, right? You may be, you know, going maybe in the grocery store and you're at Tops or Wegmans and you're waiting in line and you got in the wrong line, right? And that person in front of you pulls out the checkbook and you're like, oh my gosh, they're still writing checks. What year is this, right? And they're taking their time and not only do they pull out their checkbook, but then inside of their checkbook are all their coupons, right? And they're, wait, 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 what did I buy? I think I got that coupon. And you're in the back and you're just losing it, right? You're, you're losing it, right? And your witness for Jesus has just been blown, right? Listen, God is not expecting you to be perfect, in your actions. We're going to make mistakes all the time. So, so what are we to do? You see, in my goodness, I could never obtain God's standard of righteousness, no matter how many good things I do. I can't do it. And if I'm trying to please God through my goodness, it's performance-based Christianity. It's a, moral, it's, it's, a, it's a moral type of Christianity of just trying to please God. See, what is Jesus trying to teach this young man? See, this young man, what would save him is not that he gives up all his riches. Jesus was exposing his heart. He knew where the block was in his life. He knew the thing that he was trusting. But the thing that's going to save this young man and lead him into eternity was the next thing Jesus said, which was what? Follow me. Follow me. I'm the one that's good. I'm the good teacher. Jesus would 
eventually die for this wealthy man's life. He would die for his dependence on his wealth and his identity in his wealth. He would die for that for him on the cross. Jesus says, come follow me. So it doesn't depend on what I've done. At the end of the day, we are inherently good no matter what your mama told you, right? We are inherently, we are not inherently good. So what do we do? How do we get to heaven? If we're not good and we're not perfect, then what do we do? Well, we can't listen to the world's philosophy that says, well, you're, you're enough. That's, that's a worldly way of looking. Well, you're just enough, and that's okay because that's who you are. You're just enough. That's not going to fix our problem. It wouldn't have fixed the rich young ruler. It wouldn't have fixed his heart by Jesus just telling him, well, you're enough. You're close enough. That's okay. But Jesus spoke the truth and said, you need to follow me. That's the fix. See, Jesus' encounter with a rich young man actually gives us hope. And here's the hope that it gives us. Jesus shares the truth with him. He loves him. He shows him the way to true righteousness that does not come from us. So what's the answer to our hopeless condition? What's the answer? The answer is grace. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's simply by God's grace. Jesus was perfect in every way. Jesus gives us the answer by saying, follow me. I'll provide everything you need in order to fulfill the righteous demands that God demands on us in order for us to to receive eternal life. So Jesus will do the work for us and fulfill the righteous demands of God for us through his work on the cross. Grace. Grace. Listen to what listen to what this is saying. He does all the work for you. And not only does it when we follow and put our faith in him, not based on our works, but when we follow and put our faith in him, God now imputes the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Does that mean that we're always going to do perfect things the rest of our life? Absolutely not. We're going to do knuckleheaded things all the time. We're not going to always do the right thing. But our standing before God in Christ Jesus is now a right standing. So when I stand before God, I don't stand in the work of Barden Gerace. I stand in the work of Jesus Christ because I put my faith in him. Now, does Jesus want us to live a righteous life? Absolutely. He doesn't want sin to hinder our relationship with him. So as we read God's word and we follow him, God wants us to live a life that's pleasing to him, not because I have to perform for him, but because I recognize what Christ has already done for me. And I want to serve him. I get to serve him. I get to follow him. And there's joy in that, of doing the right thing before the Lord. Amen? It's a different purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Through Christ, we are perfect. That we can stand before a holy God, right before him. 
Even though Jesus never sinned, he took the punishment for our sin. He took our sin on the cross. He took our shame and our guilt upon him. He became our substitute. Not only did Jesus take our sin upon himself, but God through Christ gives us the righteousness of Christ into our life that we may be made right before him. So what Jesus did for us is something that we could never, ever do for ourselves. We are righteous through Christ so we can confidently know we have eternal life. Listen, for those of you who feel like a failure, for those of you who feel like, man, I can never measure up, I can never measure up, or for those of you who who, who drive yourself through perfectionism, the good news is the gospel applied to our lives in both areas. That I can say, God, my identity is strictly in you. It's not based on what I do for you. My identity is in you because of what Christ did for me. And I know some of you, maybe, maybe you were raised in a, in a situation where you didn't hear a lot of affirmation. Maybe you didn't hear a parent say they loved you, or maybe you didn't hear someone say that they're proud of you. So there's this endless pursuit of, of trying to be good and trying to do your best and, and, and trying to, to please people, but you were put down. See, when Christ invites us in, he doesn't look at my resume. He doesn't say, oh, Barden, okay, let's see, you need to do a little better here so now you can come to me. He just says, Barton, come just as you are and let me do the work in your heart. You don't have to appease me or try to please me. That work was already accomplished for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. When you can get to that point in your life, you begin to find your identity in Christ, not in things, not in your performance. You find your identity in Christ. Does he want us to do well? and what we do in our jobs or sports? Absolutely. But that's not my motivation anymore. My motivation is Christ. You know, I remember when I was getting, when I was getting ready to graduate high school, um, we all had to meet with our, our guidance counselor. And, and my, my um, meeting for my senior year didn't go that well. I was kind of a mediocre student. Out of 350 kids in our class, I was like 177, kind of right in the middle, C plus B, just average Joe. And I can remember meeting with my guidance counselor. I think my mom was with me and we sat down and, you know, he tells you, hey, here's some good colleges. Here, here's, you know, wh- what's your plans for the future, yada, yada, yada. And I remember sitting down and he looked at me and he says, um, Barden, you're probably not college material. And I remember thinking, well, yeah, I've got average, average grades and so on and so forth. And I remember just saying, and I remember walking away just feeling down like, Maybe, maybe I shouldn't go to college. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not college uh, material. And I remember my mom looking at me, my parents talking to me, and they're saying, Barn, what, what are you called to? What do you feel the Lord wants you to do? And I said, I, I really feel calling into the ministry. I want to take that. I feel like I should take that step. They said, let me go to college. I said, well, I, I don't know how well I'm going to do, but I'll try. And um, so I went to school, got, got a four-year four-year degree, and it was hard for me. I mean, I had to study probably twice as hard as everyone else. But I remember always in the back of my mind, I felt like a failure. Now, I don't think my guidance counselor meant anything by that, but in the back of my mind, I just kind of felt like maybe this isn't for me or I'm a failure. I could never 
measure up to this. My parents were always encouraging. It didn't come from them, but, but hearing that, that was that voice in the back of my mind. So I worked extra hard. I did graduate um, um, college, praise the Lord, thank God. And uh, I did graduate uh, with honors. It, it, it was a Bible college, by the way, okay? But I did, did graduate with honors. And um, but I, I remember thinking sometimes, like, I can't do this or I feel like a failure, or what if I can't do this? And I think for some of you here today, there's that voice in the back of your mind that you feel like I can't do this, or I'm a failure, or I didn't hear people speaking things into my life that helped me or influenced me. I only heard a lot of just negative things. But that's not the Lord. That's not Christ. He says, you come to me broken, bruised, Sinful, you come as you are and let me do the work in your heart. Find your identity in me. Find your worth in me. You will never find it trying to chase after worldly things. You will never find it there. And so when you come to Christ, Jesus says this to this young, wealthy, got-it-all-together guy who knew his word, who did the right things, And Jesus says, it's still not enough. He says, follow me and you will find true riches. And so my prayer for you, those of you that are struggling, maybe struggling in your Christianity, maybe struggling with the way you were raised, maybe in Christianity, maybe struggling with what your identity is, maybe things haven't worked out the way that you felt that they worked out and and it's a real bruise towards maybe your identity. Jesus tells us to lay those things down. And he says, follow me. Find your hope. Find your identity in me. Because guess what? This world will beat you up. Amen? It will. There'll be things that'll happen to you that... that you did not see or, or foresee. The thing that gets you through all those things is your relationship with Christ. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Nothing's going to separate you from my love. You may have gotten passed up for that promotion or maybe you didn't make the team or whatever. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, your identity is in me. Don't find it in those things. And I think that's why so many professional athletes at the top of their game struggle at the end of their career to give it up. We're no different from them, but your identity is so wrapped up in what you do that it becomes, this is who I am. I'm not always going to be a pastor. Don't say amen. Okay, stop it. Right? But my identity is not Pastor Barton. My identity is I'm a follower of Jesus. Your identity is not that your kids all turned out perfectly or not. Your identity is Christ Jesus. Come follow me. So this is what I'd say to you. Stop it and give it to him. And don't allow your identity to be wrapped up in those things that give no joy, that give no security. It may for a while but it will leave you empty after a while. Put your security and your trust in Christ. 
by following him. And let him work in your heart. And so as I pray with you today, what are you struggling with? Is there an area of your life that you're really struggling with? Maybe it's an identity thing. Maybe it's a, just a struggle in your life that you just don't feel like you measure up. What are you struggling with? Jesus would say, follow me. Lay those things at my feet. And let me speak truth into your heart that you are righteous not because of those things. You are righteous because of what I've done for you. You are my child. Let him speak those words to you this morning. So I want to pray for you and and we're going to close in song. And this is what we're going to do today. Listen, if any of you need prayer and you need just to take that step of faith by saying, um, God, I'm just going to lay this before your feet. I'm going to invite you to come forward today. Just come forward. You can just stand up here. We'll pray with you. Just It's, it's kind of a proclamation that, that's saying, God, I'm just going to take this bold step of faith and I'm going to trust you with this. And I'm going to lay it down at your feet. And I want you to give me my identity now as I worship you. I think sometimes when we, when we make a, a move or we do something physical to make a move, it's just saying to God, God, I need you. I need you to work in my heart and my life. So I'm going to invite you as we sing this song, if you feel so led to come down to the front here, we're going to pray with you and just let God do the work in your heart that he needs to do today. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that our identity in you is not what other people say about us. It's what you say that matters the most. And when we follow you, and we lay our lives down at your feet. We are your children and you speak life into us, God. Lord, you speak truth and love into our condition, but you don't leave us that way. You did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves and you gave your life for us. And so, Lord, in response, we lay our lives down and we lay those things that have become stumbling blocks like, like the rich young rule of this rich young man, Lord. His stumbling block was his wealth, but he couldn't lay it down. Lord, I pray that you would just speak in our hearts today about maybe something in our hearts or our lives that is blocking us, that is causing us to feel insecure, that's causing us not to follow you the way you desire us to follow you. Whatever that thing might be, Lord, we lay that down today and we chase after you and we follow you because that's where the joy and the freedom and the security lies is when we immerse ourselves in our relationship with you, not in what a parent said, not in what a guidance counselor said, not in what anyone else says about me. When we are in you, we are your children. And nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. Help us, God, to find ourselves in you today, in you alone. Thank you for the security that you give us in Christ and Christ alone. In your precious name, we ask these things. And all God's children said, can we thank him for his word today? He's good. He's good. Amen. Amen.